Yeah, I'm going to get the whip out. Don't tempt me. <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. Hopefully. Um, we've got kids in with us this morning, which is exciting. So if you see one wandering around, um, it's not lost. They're supposed to be here. Um, if um, one of them does, like, absolutely lose it, there's a room out there where they can be confined in. It's got cupboards in it, and they're lockable. So um, just take a number. Remember which cupboard your kid's in so um, you return home with the correct one. My parents returned home without my, or got halfway home without my sister once when she was a newborn from church, which um, I wish they hadn't rectified. <laughs> um, highlights this morning, uh, we're, we're easing into things this week because, um, you know, we're all still waking up from New Year's. So uh, we've got some drawing this morning and we've got um, a song, a little, little one-man performance, one-man show. Sorry to disappoint you, but it's not me this morning. We will have some of the Bible, um, and we'll also have some of this, which is called Flame of Love, which is either erotic fiction or um, a book about the Holy Spirit. So you'll find out which one it is very shortly. Um, up on um, that speaker just there, I'll try not to talk about when you're getting stuff, but um, there's um, pencils and um, little scraps of paper. I need a representative from each table just to come and get enough pencils and enough paper for your table so we can do our drawing exercise. Uh, now's good, yeah. Paper, scissors, rock if you need to. Please don't squabble about colours too much. <laughs> there's pens on your table as well, which you can use if, if there's not enough good pencils. Um, Vaynant just said that this is the best book ever, so either he's a massive fan of erotic fiction or <laughs> he's a biblical scholar. We'll find, or both. <laughs> They're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> Um, we mentioned Papers as Rock before. Just um, like to mention a couple of strategies. Um, I've got a friend who's very, very good. He was like our youth group champion of Papers as Rock, and his psych out technique was to tell people what he was going to do, and he always did it, and somehow it always worked because everyone thinks that this time is the time that he's not going to do it, and he did. It was brilliant. And I had another friend who. Um, used to just infuriate children by like just adding, ad-libbing new ones. So he'd do like Papers' Rock Bird and fly away. <laughs> or dynamite and blow whatever they had up, which is also 
It's pretty good. Um, we've been talking over the last like little little last couple of weeks. For those of you who are around, um, we've been during Advent. We explored the idea of uh, of possibility and um, and and began to touch on hope. And this month, we're going to do a little bit of storytelling around hope. And it, a little bit stems from a comment um, or a discussion Steve and I had, where Steve said, "You know." I feel like our community um, is mu- deals much better with questions than with enthusiasm um, or hope or joy, and um, I think I think I think he's right, and I think there's very good reasons for that. But I thought it'd be really nice to spend some time kind of exploring um, why that might be, and kind of how us as a community can um, perhaps move forward, or perhaps like a relook at hope and joy. So we're going to start. Um, we're going to start with the scripture up here, which um, Sam has formatted into an appropriate font for me, because my fonts. I'm, I'm, look, I'm not Comic Sans and Papyrus, but my fonts aren't much better. Um, oh, next one, uh, previous one, that one. Thank you, Mark. Um, this little scripture here. I just want you to kind of like read yourself as I read this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious in anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Some crowd feedback. <laughs> How? What, there's going to be a variety of gut reactions to that. Opening little line there. Rejoice in the Lord always. Who had like a, some kind of positive or negative reaction to it that they'd like to just share very briefly? Stuart Eagles is smiling from ear to ear, which makes me think that he does. I feel like I just need to kind of tone it down a bit. So I can handle kind of content and maybe like grateful and, and satisfied, but rejoice is just a bit too much, you know? So I, yeah. Excellent. Tone it down a bit, guys. Anyone else? Reactions, positive, negative? What happens in you? Peter. Uh, my first response was always, really. Um, yeah. Good. I was thinking about um, those words and if someone was actually, like, it just reminds me, this picture of someone standing on, like, a pedestal or somewhere higher up than a crowd saying it, and I just wanted to be like, shut up, like, what, like... Half of, you don't know any of these people's experience around you and you don't know. It kind of has this 
tendency, I don't know, I think I read it really negatively because I feel like I'm being told what to do. Yeah, interesting. Ronnie. I love this scripture. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it because um, it reminds me, like, sorry, <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing is, is that it's not, look, not looking at me. It's not rejoicing in me. It's rejoicing in the Lord and what God's done. And, um, yeah, I, I love it. Bring it on. <laughs> Bring it on. Anyone else have positive, like, Louis? This actually gave me a flashback to the 70s. All a happy child. <laughs> child, being a child of the 70s, um, sitting around in a circle singing this song, Rejoice in the Lord Always, I and, and, you know, hitting the drums and clapping and, and basically pretty bright and happy. Yeah. Brings to mind years in the chapel in St George's Road, being part of the choir section there when we would sing, Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem, praise my Lord, O Zion. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Amen. Beautiful. Lovely. So, it does different stuff. To be honest, it probably does lots of things in all of us. I think um, some of us will have a mixture of both sides of those reactions within us. Um, We're going to do a bit of drawing now. Um, I want you to take your small piece of paper or your eye device if you're all fancy. I want you to think for a moment about something that gives you a whoosh of joy. It doesn't have to be significant or uh, it doesn't have to be the most important thing in your world, but something that gives you a sense of great delight. And I want you to draw it or at least have an attempt at drawing it if you have my artistic skills. It can be small and inane, it doesn't matter. Something, just something that gives you delight. You're not drawing boobs, are you, Steve? (laughs) He's not. (laughs) Something far more personal, he says.
Lovely. Okay. Um, you can you can shut one out one by one. What did you, what did you draw? What, what's the little thing that gives you great delight? Ice cream. Yay. What was what was your one, Steve? Tea. <laughs> what a surprise. It's a small plug for tea too, uh, which can be found on. <laughs> Red Wine, the song by um, UB40. Okay, great. Yeah, I mean, each to their own, not judging, but they're terrible. Sorry? Carnival. Yay. Like carny folk? Yes, good. The Heart. Shoot the boys with an arrow to the heart. That's very dark, Mark. But whatever, whatever works. Oh, your niece and nephew, lovely, rad. Anyone else? The Beach, yeah, great film. Water, yay. Surfing, yeah. You really were like a 70s love child, weren't you? (laughs) Still are, good. Don't let it die. Anyone else? The the Outer Reaches, the Great Unwashed. Is Is there any joy back there? Puppies, yay! Accidentally riding without a helmet. <laughs> good, good, accidentally. Yeah, excellent. Good, good. Okay, so I want you to just like as, um, hold those little, little whooshes of joy with you as you, um, as you sit. Don't, don't throw them away yet because, um, yeah, let them be a small reminder this morning. Um, over Advent, we talked about, um, we, we, we kind of talked about some caricatures of, um, of Christian attitudes towards hope. Um, the first being uh, triumphalism, which is a really big word. But essentially the idea is that um, because we've got Jesus now, um, everything is better, nothing can go wrong, um, and, and life is really good no matter what's going on. It's like, oh, thank you. you well, this is what you did on your holiday. You went to a house. Is that grass? It's a sea. It's the sea. Is it a fish? Oh, well done. Oh, she went on a holiday with her friend Ada and saw the sea and a fish, um, and there was a house which was built upon the sand. Um, <laughs> a lesson in that, but she came back okay. Um, so triumphalism is the, the just. The, the, a kind of a, a shallow reading of the, um, the, the passage of Romans, everything works together for good for those who love him. Um, this idea that, um, that, that when we find Jesus, everything becomes so miraculously amazing that, um, that nothing ever goes wrong. We're somehow mysteriously protected from um, every bad thing. And, and once again, this is, this is a caricature. It's an extreme version um, of... Of, of, a, of a belief system. So I don't think many people actually kind of like fully endorse or embrace this, but, um, but it's kind of one end of a spectrum. And, and, and so the idea is that, you know, that uh, we, we need to keep positive, that we need to look at all the good things in our life, which is good. Um, and we kind of need to pretend that other things maybe don't exist quite so strongly as they do. Um, if they do, it's usually because you don't have enough faith um, or because you're being attacked by the devil um, or, um, it's some, or it's some kind of test. And before we ridicule it too much, I'm not saying that there's not any merit in that position, 
But just that, I think it's an extreme that becomes a little bit dangerous because it becomes disconnected from the way the world really is. Um, has anyone kind of like lived in that sphere a little bit over their lifetime where it's kind of like, yeah. Um, what's that experience? Are you, Beth, would you mind talk, just talking really briefly about what that experience is, is like? <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. Um, I think that it's an addictive sort of thing in the sense of, you know, you're wanting to always, um, always be concentrating on the good, always be walking in victory and this, um, yeah, and, and there's not space for any of the, the other stuff that's going on, um, and I think that it, it frames the way that we counsel people in that. It frames the way that we um, journey with people in that. And it's done a lot of damage to a lot of people. So, um, yeah, but I've also found a lot of hope and life in that as well. So, yeah. Yeah, good one. So the second kind of, and, and perhaps often a reaction to having an experience in that world of where you try and keep everything, you try and keep everything up, and then all one day um, there's some kind of like tipping point and critical mass, and everything comes tumbling down really, really hard. The second kind of other end of the spectrum is um, is, is cynicism, and there's a few brands of this. One is kind of where um, you know all of life is terrible, but one day we'll get sucked up to heaven and everything will be better. And the other one is kind of the um, God has left the building um, end of the spectrum where there is no good in the world. There's, it's not all going to work out. Life is an incredibly painful and traumatic experience and in and, and that it's, it's empty. Um, take a few steps back the other way, um, if that's the extreme, um, is perhaps just a position of cynicism where... Um, we are so connected to pain and so connected to um, the brokenness of the world that we begin to lose touch with the good things that happen. I spent a fair few years of my life in a, um, an incredibly dark place where I just was basically fighting for survival. And one of the things that I found happened to me in that place is that I no longer trusted or wanted good things because... When you've had really good things and they've been taken away from you or held back from you, all those good things have turned into poison chalices. The idea of new good things are incredibly dangerous because if they have any hold on you, if you actually like them, they're probably going to be destroyed and taken away anyway, which might bring you down with it. And so the place that you end up in is you end up not trusting anything good or trying to detach yourself from anything that, might, that you might enjoy. And so I, I think the way I ended up living was this kind of like theoretical enjoyment of life where I didn't actually have an emotional attachment with things, but I knew that they were technically good things so I could theoretically enjoy them, but I wouldn't let myself actually fall in love with them or connect with them because it was too dangerous, because they could so easily be taken from me, and I just didn't know whether I could take that. It took me a long time to realize that that was what was happening. I think like that's a, it's a, an emotional coping mechanism that your body uses or your mind uses to protect yourself. Um, 
But when you wake up to it and then one day just realize and just go, like, all of life is really gray. Even really good experiences are actually pretty average because I can't give myself to them. Um, it's, a, it's a horrible place to be. And so one of the things I, ha- I think that we risk with cynicism is that we end up actually marginalizing and not even seeing, like blinkering ourselves against good, just like the other end of the spectrum blinkers themselves against bad, we can so easily blinker ourselves against good. And I think that's equally dangerous. I think that's incredibly dangerous. The weird thing about it is it feels safer because there's really low risk expecting nothing from God. It's really hard to be disappointed in God if you think that he's not gonna do anything anyway. It's really hard to be disappointed in life if you think that it's all pretty bad and pretty terrible and doesn't give you any good things. Um, I think, however, the, 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 the Christian position and um, kind of what we're faced with if we're people that engage Scripture is that there's hope embedded in this book. There's a sense of expectation embedded in this book. Throughout the entire narrative, there's this idea that God is working in the world, and that's a much debated and argued opinion within the Bible. There's plenty of people going, where is God? What is he doing? Is he sitting on his hands? Why is life so terrible? But within, within that, there's still this expectation that we should still at least complain at this God that we hate so much and deny his existence um, because we're annoyed because somewhere deep down we feel like there's something, something should be different, that there's something more. And so my proposal kind of is that there's a third way that both of these straw man caricatures that have built up that don't really exist in their extremes but we can kind of recognize bits of them um, that there's a third way beyond these things one of them misses the reality of the brokenness of this world and the other misses the possibility that goodness might actually run deeper than that pain and that God might still be involved and what I want to kind of look at and talk about um, as we um, share some stories over the next few weeks is, is to ask the question of what does it look like to not just ignore the pain of the world or simply give in to it, but to acknowledge it and resist it. We talked in our Kingdom series a little bit about the idea of subversion as um, Christians as, as a subversive community. Subversion is kind of the idea of underhandedly resisting something Um, even when you can't confront it um, too head on. I um, love Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar, um, who wrote a book, and I haven't read the book, but I just love the title. Um, It's called Sabbath as Resistance. And the idea is that, um, that we have these centering practices, which even though we can't enact them fully, they become symbolic reminders and rhythms which resist a culture that we think is gonna destroy us. I think that hope and joy have subversive practices attached to them. Joy and hope are connected. I think one thing points to another. I think joy and the experience and getting caught up in joy, even in the midst of despair, points to something that lies much, much deeper than our pain that is ingrained within us. Joy doesn't deny or erase pain and suffering, but points beyond it. If we let ourselves, we can get caught up by it, reminded of something that we were created for, the deep, deep feeling that good is the way this world was created for. Sometimes joy takes us by surprise, 
sometimes we're ambushed by it. And if we don't resist it, we can let ourselves be immersed in something truly, truly good, even in the middle of reasonably dark places. Um, I've asked Rod, I asked Rod to tell a story, but um, Rod went up to me and said that he'd, um, he'd sing a song. Um, so he's going to chat for a moment, tell a little bit of a story, and then sing a song for us, and we'll um, reconvene. Thank you. I'm going to two up you. Um, so, yeah, Shane asked me to talk a little bit about um, Tilly's birth. Tilly's over there in the blue dress. Um, and what the birth of a child teaches you about joy. Um, and I decided it was completely beyond me to, to do that in a neat take-home message sort of way. It always is, actually. Um, so I'm going to read you two diary entries from a diary that I wrote at the time for Tilly to read when she was an adult um, and uh, then sing you a song that I also wrote at the time. Uh, so it's a kind of scattergun approach. So hopefully I'll hit something. The, the first entry I wrote the day... Uh, well, it's the date says the 15th of March, so that was the day Tilly was born. I suspect I may have written it the next day, but forgive me. Um, and there's one piece of vocabulary that I need to pre-teach, uh, and that's meconium. Now, some people will know what meconium is. It's a, it's a very sticky poo that babe, newborns is their first, is like tar, um, and, it, and it appears in this first entry. I wasn't anticipating children being here, so I'll, I might do some kind of on-the-fly editing. 15th of March, 2010, when you came into our lives. Um, yeah, there are some, just, just a warning, there are some strong adult themes. The first part of you that I saw was just a little patch of your head covered in dark hair. The midwife was holding a mirror and shining a torch so that Susie and I could see you coming out. We were both in a bit of shock, I think, so it was hard to connect that little patch of hair with the reality of our child. The patch grew bigger and bigger, but rather than fo focusing, rather than a growing sense of anticipation to meet you, my focus was on Susie and my overwhelming desire for this to be over and for the pain to stop. When you finally came out, first your head and then your body, there was such a rush of flesh and fluid and blood that even after you had been put in Susie's arms, my brain was still a few steps behind. So when I first put my hand to your body, it was like I was trying to work out what this wet and purple bundle even was. Then came tears. Tears of relief first, and then tears of joy. Though relief and joy do not even come close to describing what was happening inside me. It was like reaching the top of some kind of emotional Everest. Your body was like the philosopher's stone that turned leaden trauma into gold. It was transcendent, the empty womb like the empty tomb, and you were the death that is labor resurrected in a perfect new body. Susie said later that in the most intense part of the labor, she had an overwhelming sense that she was going to die. The more I think about that, the more truth I feel that there was in that feeling. Part of both of us died in that room. 
perhaps the joy we felt when we met you was among other things, the joy of resurrection, the realization that the other side of this death was not only another life, but more life. I'll leave that one there. Uh, the next entry is from a month later. And it, I guess it relates to another, another angle on, on the joy of the experience and the profundity. There is something primal about you now, even more so when you were born, something ancient about your gaze. Looking at you was, and still is, like looking at uncarved rock, granite shaped only by the elemental forces of nature, untouched by the hammer and chisel of human life. Yet already your particularity begins to emerge. Already the lifelong process of sculpting, of differentiation has begun. Slowly the eternal past from which you have emerged, the breathtaking unlikeliness of your existence, of existence itself, recedes as the unique time-bound being that is Tilda Godfrey makes herself known. This struck me particularly as you started to smile. I became aware of grief mixed in with my joy, perhaps because I knew that every revelation is a concealment. The more the miracle of who you are is revealed, the more the miracle that you are is concealed. I never re realized how much birth connects you to death, how much a newborn baby reminds you of your own mortality. It shouldn't have surprised me, I guess. Watching your child walk through the door from non-existence to existence cannot but remind you of that other door that, God willing, many, many years from now, she will one day watch you walk through the door of death. Don't get me wrong. I was choked with joy when, I, when you first smiled, and I don't regret for an instant the fact that the dazzling pool of life that you are more and more draws me away from contemplation of the shadows that lap at the edges. Bring it on, I say. Your skin, your eyes, your fingers and toes, your cry, your smile, the never-to-be-repeated unique perfection that is you. Why wouldn't everything else recede? P.S. You slept and settled so well last night, for which I am very grateful. Thank you. <laughs> um, so now this song. I'm not sure exactly when I wrote this song, but it was um, somewhere within the first six months of Tilly's life. It is somewhat pretentiously called Beckett because it includes a quote from the Irish playwright Samuel Beckett, a man who always looked on the dark side of life. Um, and somewhat like myself. And I, the song is really, I guess, a dialogue between those two parts in a way that, that Shane was referring to, the, the dark side and the light side, the side of joy and the side of pain, seeing them as, in a way, two sides of the same thing. After I play it, I'm just going to, um, to sit down again because <laughs> I always feel a bit naked after singing a song. So when it's naked, you always just sit down. safe now?
I think you're allowed to clap if you want. And in that is so much of the sentiment of the Christian scriptures. That death can't be the end. That somehow life conquers death um this book which um i have read in a cafe before and then put away because (laughs) it's called flame of love and i just realized how strange that must look um it's by a guy called clark pinnock and it's a theology of the holy spirit and i was going to read an extract that i read years and years ago and it's it's haunted me ever since um 
And it's up here. If you have faith. It's the emperor's new verse. Yeah. God is wonderfully different from what our natural thinking tells us. For this God delights in social existence, ecstatic dance, creativity, and spontaneity. This is why we humans love to play in the midst of the seriousness of ordinary life. Play bespeaks eternity. Play is a gesture of hope. It takes us momentarily out of the realm of suffering and lets us glimpse deathless joy. It is a gesture of hope in the ugliness of destruction. A gesture of hope in the ugliness of destruction. Play is an act of resistance against the narrative, say, narrative that says that death wins and evil conquers all, that this world is irreparably broken. Play and whooshes of joy and giving ourselves over to excitement and anticipation are spiritual disciplines that affirm the Christian belief that death one day will be conquered and is already conquered. I think the worst thing that we can do with brokenness and pain is be trite about it. To minimize it, to pretend it doesn't exist. I think the best thing that we can do is to resist it. And even in the midst of bad things, to see that in ice creams and beaches and holiday houses with fishes, that the goodness of God still runs through those things. And one day, will be all things. It's a hard discipline sometimes of being knocked about by despair to rejoice in all things always. The interesting thing about that passage is that it wasn't written to a bunch of um, quite happy with themselves, all-conquering people. It was written to a beaten up, persecuted, weak bunch of believers trying to get through this next season of hardship. And I think there's something in that for us. That sometimes we need to give ourselves over to joy as an act of resistance. That we need to open our blinkers a little and see more good things and not expect them to just knock out and take away everything bad but connect with them along with that ancient belief that God may well be in them, that he may well still be working in the world and there might be more to come than what we see right now. Sometimes like in Rod's situation, a birth of a child, it can take you quite unexpectedly and run much deeper than you ever thought was possible. And my prayer for our community as we move forward this year is that we would be able to mature, be able to move on from straw man responses into something much more mature and much deeper, 
which is to immerse ourselves in joy as an act of hope and an act of resistance in a way that drives us into becoming a part of the solution to the brokenness of this world, to participating with the kingdom of God. That doesn't make us ignore bad things, but gives us hope that there is life beyond those things. Let's pray together. Does anyone have a prayer they would like to pray in response to that? Sometimes you hear enough of me. Sometimes it's good to give space to the prophets. Would anyone else like to pray? All right, I'll do it then. God, deep down within each one of us is the hope that death is not all that there is, that destruction and despair is not all that there is. And while we don't look to deny those things or pretend they don't exist, we do look to you as a source of hope, that you are working beyond those things, that you're stronger and bigger than those things. Lord, in this season, help us, even those who are weary, to open ourselves to those small wishes of joy, to connect them with you, to see them as acts of life. Help us to play amidst destruction as a resistance to despair. Help us to enjoy good things and let them take us fully. In your mighty death-conquering name, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.